Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Stephanie James. She is author of the new book, The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. The Spark is compelling and inspiring guidance from Stephanie James, experience as a psychotherapist. Stephanie shares current research techniques that help readers gain clarity and understanding, allowing them to easily assimilate and integrate them into their own lives. Stephanie and co-producer Doug Beechwood just completed the film When Sparks Ignite, written by Stephanie and directed by Doug. The film features luminaries and thought leaders on a unique journey through life's hardships and headaches to a place of healing where transformation of our own lives and that of our greater humanity is possible. We never know what sparks we may ignite in one another. The film will be released in 2021. For more information about Stephanie, you can visit her website, which is www.stephaniejames.world. And you can find out more about Stephanie's podcast, which is called The Spark Pod, and at www.thesparkpod.com. Okay, with that, uh, welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you, Robert. So great to be here with you. It is my pleasure, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to our chat and being able to kind of um, uh, enlighten our, our, our listeners a, a little bit. And so uh, the, the first thing I, I want to start with is, you know, one of the um, toughest parts of a, an author's job when writing a book is coming up with a title, and so uh, <laughs> The Spark. So can you tell us why you chose that as the kind of the image you wanted to to project about the book. Sure. Well, and honestly, I, I feel like, Robert, it came from my radio show uh, and podcast, which The Spark with Stephanie James, actually that name came from a dream. I was inspired. My producer for the show and I were trying to think of the right names. And so in the middle of the night, it literally just came to me, you know, and, and the logo of igniting your best life, um, how important that is for all of us. And so I could see the T-shirt, I could see the name, and I woke up the next morning and told my producer. And so that was the name of the show, and it's continued to just be my brand. It's really what I'm about when I put on uh, my summits. It's the Spark Summit. Um, as you shared, the movies When Sparks Ignite. And so the spark is just something that's really just essential for me in who we are and to really allow that essence of us to be lit up from the inside. Yeah, so would you say that it is a one of a um, – like? A, uh, a rare occasion? I mean, is this one one of the things that just happens, you know, maybe spontaneously? Um, or, or is it something that you can work toward having more of your living, living a spark, sparkling kind of life? Yeah, yeah. I do think we can live spark-filled life. But I, do, I believe that the um, – when I'm referring to the term of a spark, I think it's truly who we already are at our essence. So the essence of who we are, you know, some people call it a God spark, or some people call it just the spirit of who we are, the soul of who we are. And so I really believe that that spark is just joyful and luminant. And oftentimes life covers that up, you know, with circumstances and challenges we go through, that spark's always alive within us. But sometimes we have to work at excavating it so we can really allow ourselves to shine and radiate and live the kind of lives that feel inspired, that feel truly alive and turned on. Yeah. 
So um, what would you – well, one of the things that I've noticed is in your work um, – uh, you you deal with people with with trauma and trauma. You deal with trauma, um, PTSD, and um, you know that kind of in, in that particular area. So, as a psychotherapist, um, what um, what are some of the um, issues that people come in with that dampen or or, or um, prevent that spark from occurring? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, you know, we, we have what I refer to as big T trauma and little T trauma. And, you know, we've all had little T traumas. I always say nobody gets out of childhood unscathed. You know, we've all heard messages about ourselves that aren't necessarily true, but especially when we're young, you know, those first seven years of life, we're in this theta brainwave state. And so what people say to us and the way that our caretakers around us treat us, we really internalize as being true of us. So oftentimes, you know, those beliefs, they become subconscious and they really guide how we view ourselves in the world. So if those are negative messages, they develop into what oftentimes can become limiting beliefs. And that is, I think, part of what what can cover up some of that shine. Like if we believe that, you know, we're, we're not good enough or that, you know, we'll never be attractive enough or we'll never be skilled enough or smart enough, those are the things that can really, just those thoughts alone, limit our ability to really let that inner spark shine. So I think it doesn't have to be big traumas. It can really be the way that our thoughts have been conditioned. Um, And also, of course, you know, as we've gone through difficult circumstances and stresses, whether it's financial, maybe, you know, through relationship, oftentimes those are the things that can dampen that spark. And that's when I have people coming to my office. Um, You know, I do work with a lot of what I call big T trauma, which is you know, some of the, whether it's a natural disaster, a car wreck, um, or some kind of abuse, that can really dampen that spark. And so we've got to dig in and do that work to really excavate that light again. So the person can be fully lit up once again from the inside. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I found that discussion in your book, the big and little t trauma um interesting because i never really i mean you know it was it was a it's a distinction that i think um you know a lot of people when, when they think trauma they're usually thinking big t trauma you know but right, um, but right. The, you know the, the little t you know um does affect us um and we were talking mm-hmm. about the um the the beliefs childhood beliefs and limiting systems boy i had been dealing with that for for years so you know i you know really aware of of that kind of thing so when and i kind of want to talk a little bit about the limiting beliefs so you know mm-hmm. a lot of us do have those that were you know established many many years ago um so what would be first of all what are the signs that someone that would allow someone to know where limiting beliefs are coming in. I mean, we not, may not even be aware that we're limiting, mm-hmm. that our beliefs are limiting. Mm-hmm. So what, can mm-hmm. you give us an example of how that would look? Sure. I, you know, I think there's a couple different ways to notice that, Robert. I think one of them is when we catch ourselves saying negative phrases out loud Um, And we may ask a partner to help remind us about this. But when we hear ourselves saying things like, oh, I can't do that, you know, um, I can't possibly, um, you know, take on that project because, you know, my my fear is I just can't do it. You know, we can hear our internal voice maybe, even if we don't say it out loud, saying, God, I just don't think I can do it Um, because I don't feel like I'm, again, like smart enough or competent enough. Um, And I think that you know, one of the ways that people can start to dig in a little bit and notice what are their limiting beliefs is to go through your life and literally do a journaling exercise where you break it up by section. So you would look at relationships, you'd look at career, you'd look at health and fitness, maybe your spiritual life, and even your relationship with yourself. 
and then you write down where you are right now and then where you want to be and think about what is, what is keeping me from being where I want to be. And as you write those things out, you, you start unearthing some of these limiting beliefs. Um, and sometimes we believe they're true forever. Like, you know, we were talking about, you don't always know that you have them. But as you start writing this out, you know, I can think of an example when someone I worked with, he had a message from his childhood, which was, you know, um, you can't get rich because rich people aren't happy. You know, that was a, a message from his father. Boy. and so That's what he believed, right? And, and so without realizing it, that was the subconscious belief. Rich people are unhappy. So in an interesting way, he'd been sabotaging his own ability for wealth because that would mean he would be unhappy. So, he couldn't be happy. You know, I think those, yeah, yeah. So I think that's one of the, the ways we can really start to dig in, as I said, and just realize what are some of those limiting beliefs inside of me. Yeah, it's real important, yeah, to at least have the awareness, you know, once, and once the awareness, then that's when the work begins to, to shift it to a, a true, truer picture. Um, now, there are a couple of, um, one's a modality, one's a particular system, a couple bits of um, discussion in your book that I wanted to kind of discover, maybe if you could share with us. One of the things you talk about in the book is uh, the reticular, reticular activating system, or RAS. Yeah. And, and you talk mm-hmm. about that in relation to trauma. So can you tell us how, how that system, what, what the involvement of that system in trauma? Yeah, well, I think first just by understanding the system, and if we can just first not related to trauma at all, to understand how this mechanism in our brain works, it's the part of our brain that notices things. So for an example, and I think I give this example in the book, when my daughter was pregnant, um, she would say to me, mom, everyone is pregnant. And obviously everyone isn't pregnant, but because she was experiencing that in her body and she was so attuned to that, then that's what she started noticing. Her brain started focusing on picking up those cues when someone pregnant was in her vicinity. And the same thing is true for us. We can notice like if we buy a brand new car, you know, we might be like, this is the coolest orange car. Nobody else has this car. And then pretty soon we start noticing that car all over the place. Well, they, they probably didn't have a huge sale on the car. Um, our brain is just becoming attuned to that. So, you know, what, what, what I really, I, I go by this motto that it's really believing is seeing, not seeing is believing. Because if we believe something in our mind, and this is where we go back to those limiting beliefs, if we believe something in our mind, like if let's say that, you know, I'm here in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I've had people that move here and think, well, this isn't a very friendly town. In most people's experiences, this is a very friendly town. But if that person came in and their belief system already was people aren't friendly in new towns, that's what their brain will notice. So it's kind of like it doles out all the other information coming in to the contrary. So this becomes really wow. important and essential, you know, when we're talking about trauma. Because if our trauma, you know, and, and to understand how the brain works and holds trauma, one of the things that happens is when we have a traumatic event, there's a belief that gets hardwired around that event. So if, if I had something happen to me when I was very young and I was abused, Perhaps the belief that I got hardwired is I can't trust anyone or it's not safe for me to be close to people. And, you know, what it, what it reminds me of, Robert, is when I was in my EMDR training, I had a woman that I trained with and she had only had one single incident that she remembered of being that was really traum, you know, traumatic for her. And we had to practice doing EMDR on each other. So we were literally doing you know, live work on one another on our own individual traumas. And the one she shared was that in eighth grade, when she had gotten done eating and had gone outside with her peers, she was suddenly surrounded by a circle of girls. Some of them were her friends and some of them were not. 
and they were really just teasing her and bullying her. Um, and she just, what the thought that got locked in her mind through that was, I, I can't trust people. You know, here were her best friends, some of them that had just gotten caught up, you know, in, in how, you know, we can be in junior high and with our peers. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and so interestingly, at 36 years old, when I was doing this treatment with her, she had the belief still, and it was keeping her from having successful relationships. And it wasn't really until that moment she realized, wow, this has really impacted me. And we were able to do the therapy that helped rewire those thoughts so she could let go of those limiting beliefs. And, and, and really, what a success story. She went on to have beautiful relationships and get married um, a couple years later. But that's, that's the power of our mind and that reticular activating system that focuses on, it, it can be positive things as well, but also very negative. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because just this afternoon, <laughs> I had a, one of those cases of a, an RAS moment uh, this weekend. I um, helped someone move with, and had to drive a U-Haul, a, a U-Haul truck. And, and then probably, and that was like several days, two or three days ago. And then, then today um, I was driving and was with someone and we're behind a U-Haul. Are there more U-Hauls lately going on? What's this? It seems like there's an awful lot. <laughs> so, I said, well, yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? But, um, but yeah, that was one of those cases. I'm sure <laughs> we just that there are all the time we just don't notice, you know, because exactly. I mean, just because I had that you know recent experience. Um, um, but now you mentioned EMDR when when you were you know given that example. But can you um, explain? Uh, I believe it's eye movement and desensitization and reprocessing. <laughs> so anyway, yes, can you tell you us a, a bit about that modality? Because it seemed like it was effective for your one of your father's clients. Yes, yes. Well, and, and so, first of all, that, that is a trauma protocol that has been around. Uh, Francine Shapiro is the originator of that. And that modality has 35-plus years of empirical research behind it. So it's, it's really the most effective um, protocol. The FBI uses it for, you know, their agents that experience trauma, the military uses it for soldiers that have experienced PTSD. And so it, it's a phenomenal therapy that really does help rewire the way that trauma is held in the brain. So um, it, it, it is really, it's amazing what it, what it does is it does something which is different than traditional talk therapy, where the client is actually wearing headphones and has hand sensors that have a corresponding beep. And so what it does is it helps rewire through bilateral stimulation. If, if this is getting too, you know, out there, let me know. Um, but, but what it does is it helps the person separate the memory from their physiological response of, to the trauma. So it significantly and severely reduces the anxiety, um, elevates depression, and so, yes, you know, the whole reason I got into learning about EMDR is my father and stepmother were psychologists in Austin, um, gosh, almost 40 years. And um, I had asked my dad probably 15, 16 years ago, you know, what is, what is the longest you've ever had a client? And he said, well, I had this one client for eight years. And, of course, without you know, uh, revealing any kind of confidentiality, any, any kind of those details. He said, you know, I had this one gentleman who was a soldier in the Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down incident. And this gentleman had so much agoraphobia, so much PTSD from that incident, he wasn't able to leave his home to go grocery shopping or to a movie theater or out to eat. Literally, to go to therapy was about all that he could manage. And before my father learned EMDR, he said, you know, he did therapy with this gentleman for eight years, basically just to keep him alive. Um, and so then my father got trained in EMDR. And the really wonderful thing about 
this therapy is it's very short term. It's 10 to 12 sessions. And my father said, you know, three months later, this gentleman was no longer his client. He was just seeing him like once a month for maintenance after this. And to me, though, the biggest testament in EMDR working is that a year later, my father was this gentleman's officiant in his wedding in Cancun. <laughs> so this, this guy had gotten, you know, his entire back. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have got to have, you know, I've got to learn this. I've got to, you know, have this in my toolbox so I can share this with others and help he- others to heal in this really profound way. Yeah, I mean that's I I think that's just amazing. You know, first of all, the the ability for it to the you know to be able to have a short period to be able to work through um you know the the trauma is, is you know it, it's that's that's just wonderful because I know several people who just spent years and years and years and and still you know to a degree haven't really haven't had that um release from the emotional um attachment um to to it mm-hmm. so um mm-hmm. so it, it it still creates issues you know for them but but anyway i wanted to yeah. just to, yeah. you know for the audience to hear about that mm-hmm. well yeah and i want to comment really quickly too on that cuz i think it's important what you just brought up is the fact that, you know, in traditional therapy, we're using our prefrontal cortex. We're, we're trying to analyze and process. We intellectualize and understand, you know, try to understand what's happened to us. And I just want to invite people, number one, to go to the website and check it out, which is emdria.org. It's done internationally. And when trauma happens, you know, and if you're processing, you're in therapy, and you feel like, I am not moving through this, I'm still getting triggered, that's when we know there's some PTSD there, because trauma is not held in your prefrontal cortex. It's held in, in the primitive parts of our brain in the fight or flight response, the fight, flight, or freeze centers, so that hippocampus and amygdala. And so I think that's such a great tell, and it's important, you know, for listeners to really understand that that you might understand absolutely why this happened to you and the causes. And if your response is higher than perhaps the situation warrants, you know, when we notice we're being triggered, it's probably, you know, worth investigating to see if that's a trauma response and if EMDR might not be the modality that really helps move you to the place you want to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, Definitely worth exploring, you know, for especially for people, you know, who have had it, um, a chronic kind of case um, that's been ongoing. Mm-hmm. Areas yeah. you talk about also in your book that that's kind of um, it's a it's a sad state of reality in today's world. But in the book you talk about grief, you know, and the idea mm-hmm. about growing through grief. Um, so can you talk a little bit about about the idea of growing through it. Yes. Yeah. You know, because oftentimes um, I think one of the important things in, in this chapter that I talk about, and I, I talk about this with my clients a lot, is the ability to allow ourselves to have our feelings, so to have our grief. You know, oftentimes I find that, that clients are amplifying their negative emotional experience because they're angry that they're angry, or they're feeling anxious about being anxious. So they're actually amplifying it. And so I go back to that mnemonic device that what we resist persists. So if we're really resisting our own grief process, it's going to take longer to start feeling better. So part of it is really being with whatever shows up. That doesn't mean we get stuck. It doesn't mean that we go into this deep depression and despair. But there's ways that we can allow ourselves to access those feelings. And whether it's through a mindfulness practice, maybe it is through therapy, maybe it's through a support group. Um, But I think that as we allow ourselves to experience those feelings and we we start naturally moving through them, then we really are on the road to healing. 
Um, it's when we push it down and say, no, I, I don't need to feel that, or we let someone else dictate, well, you should be feeling better by now. You know, that, that pet of yours has been, do- been, yeah. been gone for six months. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, your mom died, you know, 15 years ago. You know, feels like it's time to get over it. No one gets to dictate our grief process. It's absolutely an individual thing. And I, and I always share with my clients that have gone through loss, there's a, a great book. It's actually, it's a, it's a children's book. But it's so perfect. I always say it's really for adults. Um, and it's called Tear Soup. And it really is about our grief journey. And the woman in the book is putting all these ingredients in her soup. And the neighbors keep coming over and saying, well, when is it going to be done? You know, for goodness sakes, you've been stirring that pot forever. And, you know, she just keeps sipping it and, and just tests it out and just adds different ingredients. And truly what the book is speaking to is how important it is to be with your own process and that yours isn't going to look like anyone else's. And so I think that's a big part of it. You know, growing through grief is really allowing yourself to experience what's there without it being quicksand. Um, yeah. And also, also, you know, in grief, there's going to be times where, you, you know, to allow when there's moments of levity, you know, when when yeah. there's moments where something is fun or funny or you do feel plugged back into your life, that it's okay to be wherever you're at in the moment um, with, with, and let go of the guilt or saying like, oh, somehow I'm betraying this loved one if I'm having joy or if I'm exper- experiencing yeah. something wonderful in the moment and really allowing that to be okay. Yeah, I mean, it is, grief is just such um an individual unique experience you know for for people mm-hmm. and and you know and i i you know i've recognized in a, a lot of uh you know should you be over it by now you know why you know it's been a you know a long time or 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 even the you know like you talk about having fun you know the idea you know and then of course i've i've heard the what would they want you to be doing you know <laughs> would they want you to be mm-hmm. you know crying all the time or would they want you to be laughing you know so i mean it's i mean it's just you know because then that ties into the one's belief system in the afterlife and what that you know what what all of that so i mean it's just um i just think it's probably one of the hardest um experiences human experiences to grapple with you know to try Mm -hmm. and define because because i think it's so unique Yeah. And and I guess, you know, the, the, the tail end I'd, I'd put on that is that, you know, we, we've all experienced loss this year. You know, 2020 yeah. worldwide, there's definitely, definitely been loss and grief, whether it was through loved ones or it was through loss of income or job or just freedoms. And, yeah. you know, I think that, again, it's okay to feel those feelings and also to know what do I what do I want to be focusing on today? You know, we, the the amazing yeah. thing is that we are so resilient and we can focus, we can choose to focus on those things that bring us greater joy or bring us a sense of levity. And I always tell people, please don't don't listen to the news first thing in the morning or don't read the news first thing in the morning because you know, you want to talk about depressing or something that's anxiety provoking. And you know, instead, do something that's going to bring you a sense of well-being. And so that might be exercise. It might be doing a mindfulness practice or meditation. It might be just focusing on a memory of one of your favorite places in the world. And when you're there and you're imagining this to bring in all of your senses and really feeling into that place. Because one of the cool things about our brain, too, um, it can sometimes be be the negative, but it's also very cool is that what we hold up in our mind, our brain experiences is happening now. So we can focus on, you know, a really pleasant memory and we start getting those same feelings. We really start experiencing it physiologically. And to bring that to point, I mean, that's, that is the reason that if we think about the future and we start going, oh, my God, you know, what if, what if, what if? 
None of that's happening now, but we start experiencing anxiety in the present moment. Or if we're ruminating about something from the past, having a regret or wishing it was different, it's not happening now, but we're experiencing it as if it is emotionally and physiologically. So part of it is we actually have more power than we realize. And this isn't about putting your head in the sand or having rose-colored glasses. It's oh, about empowering yourself, right. you know, to say the, the point of power is in the present moment. And I can choose right now what I want to focus on. And as I start doing that, what we start doing is what we talked about earlier. And we start telling the RAS, hey, pay attention to this. This is important. Yeah. Yeah, th- th- very much so. My goodness. Well, we're we're just past halfway through, Stephanie, so I want to take a quick break, and I do want to invite listeners, if you want to call in and ask Stephanie any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. Or for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to pose them there. Um, and then when we come back, Stephanie, um, in your chapter on revving up relationships, um, you talk about the art of the of the art of apology. <laughs> so I want to kind of talk about that when we come back, okay? Wonderful. Sounds great. Great. Okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and tune in. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Stephanie James, and we're talking about her new book, The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. Again, for more information about Stephanie, you can visit her website, www.stephaniejames.world. And for more information about her podcast, www.thesparkpod.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Stephanie. Great. Great. Okay. So, as I mentioned before the break, in revving, the chapter on revving up relationships, you talk about the art of apology. And now I know, after being in this in a 31-year relationship, apology <laughs> is a very important part of making it for that long a period. So, can you talk a little bit about um, apology and, and kind of just and the fact that's an art? Yes. Yeah. You know, I I feel like part of the art of apology is knowing when it's appropriate to say I'm sorry. You know, we don't want to just say I'm sorry because we want that other person to stop talking or we want just the situation to go away. And we also know... (laughs) That doesn't work, right? And we also know when something feels like a, a BS apology, you know, our, our BS meter can go off when someone's just trying to placate us or, like we just said, just kind of want us to get over it. So like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, or if someone says, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's not really taking a lot of responsibility for the apology. So, you know, I, I had the, the privilege of interviewing Harriet Lerner and she was talking about her book, 
why, why don't you say I'm sorry? And I learned so much from her in that interview. And one of the things that she talked about is that when we're giving authentic apology, it's really owning what it is that we feel sorry for. And so I can give you two examples, Robert. So let's, let's just in this example, I, I said something and it hurt your feelings. So tell me how these two different apologies feel different. If I said to you, yeah, Robert, you know, I, I'm, I'm really sorry that you felt that way. My, my, you know, I didn't mean to. I really didn't mean to. So I'm, I'm sorry that that hurt your feelings. So that's one way to apologize. And another way to apologize is saying, wow, Robert, I'm, I'm really hearing you say that the words that I had said to you hurt your feelings, hurt your feelings. And so I really, I want to pay attention to the words that I said. And I realize now that, wow, I just really want to own that, that those words were hurtful to you. And I can listen and hear the impact. And so I really want to be sensitive to how I'm saying that to you in the future. And I truly am sorry that those words were something that were so hurtful and I was being really thoughtless in saying them. So I, I want to be more mindful and I really want you to know that I am sorry that was hurtful and I'm going to work on saying things in a more mindful way in the future. How but is that different? Obviously the, yeah, the, well, the difference is in responsibility. You know, the second we're mm-hmm. taking responsibility for really understanding what what effect the words had, um, and mm-hmm. that, you know, and I think that that's the um, you know that's the important. I think that's the the learning point from it all is, is just you know just understanding you know just understanding what what it is because you know many times like like you say you know, people really may not recognize uh, the impact of their words. Um, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I can see that. And so now, as far as, um, you know, one of the, the key factors you talked about was was kind of authenticity. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if there's something where, you know, someone's feelings get hurt, um, but, you know, you really kind of, I mean, and you even talk about it, but it's kind of like we know. I mean, that, um, you know, that's not what it was intended. I mean, if I say that's not the way it was intended, I understand, you know, mm-hmm. how, how, you know, you felt with the words that I said. But, you know, this was what my, you know, the intent of my words were, you know. And then, mm-hmm. and then if the person is still, you know, can. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I think, you know, is that delicate balance between um, mm. you know, an authentic apology, you know, um, and, and a BS apology, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, so, yeah. So yeah, it's, like I say, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, I guess you know, you have to really listen, you know, to, to the person and, and, uh, and understand, you know, and, and, um, yeah, and I guess that, that that a little bit of reflection on you know, the importance of our words to to keep that in mind. Well, yeah, and I think that an important point too that I talk to a lot of my couples about and a lot of my clients about is that when someone when there's been a rupture in relationship and something painful has happened, you know, if 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 people are activated and they're feeling emotional and upset in the moment, that is not the time to talk about it. And getting an authentic yeah. apology or really dropping into your heart and being able to listen to one another probably isn't going to happen then. And so I really recommend for couples to, to take that time out, take that time away, you know, anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours with a commitment that you're going to come back and talk about it. But when we get activated, you know, it's, it's like I tell people you're not in your right mind anymore because as we talked about earlier, like none of those, none of those signals are getting to your prefrontal cortex where you can self-soothe and really try to, you know, process through and understand what's going on. We're really in our fight or flight response and all the signals are being shunted down into our body so we can run or fight or some people just freeze, you know, and shut down. So by giving yourself 
that time to kind of come back to a state where your blood pressure and, and everything else, your breathing, your heart rate, everything is back to normal, then you can enter into a place where you say, okay, you know, are you ready to connect? Is this a good time? And really, if it is a good time for both people, be able to show up for each other and be emotionally present. And I think that's where these conversations can happen, where we can really connect. And I say, instead of having just this, you know, head-level conversation, we're dropping into our hearts and having more of an open-hearted conversation where the goal is really about understanding and connection instead of who's right or who's wrong, or that you have to get some kind of agreement to move on. So that, that would be my little tail in yeah. addition to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, one of the areas also, you cover so many areas in your book that are really great for this particular time period that we're in. Um, one of the areas to talk about is that, you know, as if, if people go through hard times or if someone kind of like goes through a breakup or things change dramatically that, um, people, um, it's an opportunity for people to recreate themselves or reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously with, you know, what we've been going through for this in, in 2020, it seems like this is an optimal, optimal time for reinvention. Um, mm-hmm. but, but maybe people don't even like, how can I even begin to reinvent? I wouldn't know where to begin to re, you know, reinvent myself. So, for someone out there who's who wants to say, okay, let me give it a shot, what would you say would be maybe some of their first um, lines of thought or, or action toward beginning that process? Yeah, I, that's such a great question. You know, I, I think that one of the activities I've been doing with a lot of clients lately around this actual particular thing is remembering and again doing journal exercises writing this stuff down about what were the things that when they were a child even if it seems silly like even if when you were a child you're like I want to be a fireman I want to be an astronaut you know I want to be a ballerina going through the different sections in your life I have people break it up you know pre-elementary school through to element you know the end of elementary school junior high high school you know, college and young adulthood and then beyond and really look at what are the things you told yourself, I want to be this when I grow up? And what were those things that really lit you up? Now, the importance is after you write it down in all these areas, you really go back and you're looking at what are the attributes or qualities of those things I wanted to be? You know, so if I wanted to be a doctor when I was young, is it really because I wanted to help people? You know, is it really because that was something that excited me thinking of, you know, being where I have a team working around me? Or maybe when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a writer, which is true for me. So um, that was something that lit me up and brought me a lot of joy. You know, I used to, at five years old, I used to sit with my dad and he would click on his old computer, or not computer, it was a typewriter during those days, and uh, (laughs) would write my first stories with me. I'd just tell him, I'd dictate it, and he'd type it out. Um, So it's actually finding those things that made us feel lit up, the things that we found like, wow, people always told me I was really good at this thing, or as we did certain things, we found ourselves in flow. And so those are the things I think we can really bring to like, reinvention of who we are now and how we want to be in the world is first of all capturing what are the attributes and qualities that were so important to me that I really want to embrace and then looking at how can I first just start bringing those into my life because sometimes it's not even a career yet we start inventing ourselves or reinventing Mm -hmm. ourselves by plugging into the things that brought us pleasure to to plugging into the things that bring us a sense of well-being and flow and Another great exercise for accessing some of that is literally just writing a list of all the things you can think of that bring you pleasure. So writing down, you know, they can be very small things. Um, Maybe something that brings me pleasure, and this is the truth, is when I wake up in the morning, I have this really large picture window in the front of my house, and when I pull back the curtains, it doesn't matter what kind of day it is, it floods the house with light, 
and I immediately, it, it picks up, you know, my mood. I start feeling oh, yeah. better. Oh, yeah. You know, so reinventing ourselves, yeah. I think there's a big piece, too, as we talk about taking responsibility, as we were talking about taking responsibility for an apology. It's also taking responsibility mm-hmm. for our lives and our own well-being, which I have to say I feel like an essential part of all of this, of reinventing ourselves or just, you know, really continuing to ignite the sparks in our own life is to start working on the subtle art and the the wonderful journey of befriending ourselves. And what that means, you know, we've all heard the the term, oh, you know, be your own best friend, just love yourself. And that feels Mm -hmm. like a cliche, but, but there's an importance to showing up in our own lives and allowing ourselves to be priority. And that doesn't mean at the exclusion of other people or being selfish. It means I'm going to wake up in the morning and take care of myself in a way that truly supports me and my personal growth and, and my sense of well-being. So what that looks like is maybe waking up and exercising and, and doing a mindfulness practice, you know, exercising 30 minutes, doing a 20 minute mindfulness practice, and then doing journal entry around what are the things I truly feel grateful for in this moment. It doesn't matter if it's the exact same list that you felt grateful for yesterday. It's taking those things in. And then just when you get done writing them, putting your hand on your chest and marinating on them for a moment. I mean, we can really feel a sense of gratitude and feel thankful that we wake up in a warm bed, in a warm house, and we can take a shower right. with warm water. Not everybody has that. You know, and if you really yeah. feel into that, you really start noticing, wow, I feel better. I've done something by working out to oxygenate my brain. I'm doing a positive mindset by, you know, and, and they can be guided meditations. You know, you can, there are gratitude meditations out there. Um, actually, even on my website, I've got, um, I think it's less than 10 minutes. It's about a 10-minute um, igniting your best life visualization. It, it's free. People can just put their email address in and it will come right to your email address. Um, and it's a great way to start your morning so you're focusing on what lights you up and what makes you feel good. And so I think these are some of the essential things as we're reinventing ourselves um, to focus on what is, what is it that's truly meaningful in our lives. Um, what are the things that really do bring us pleasure and light us up and resource us? Because, you know, this is, like you just said, Robert, this is our great opportunity. All at once, all of humanity has been forced inside, you know, quote, unquote, inside. So literally indoors, and we can use this as an opportunity to do the deeper work of going inside of ourselves and finding out what are the things that bring us joy, that light us up, that make us, you know, feel a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and that is, you know, so too. I mean, in this period, you know, uh, you know what we really enjoy, what we are missing, you know, is, is a, an offbeat way of really highlighting what it is that we like, what it, what it, what brings us joy. So, you know, if, if you know, if people are having difficulty trying to identify exactly what brings them joy, just look at what you're missing, you know, what you feel you're missing, you know, what brings you sadness, you know, and recognize that, you know, that's um, an important part, you know, that's important to you. And and then then use this period, you know, to – because it's not going to last forever. So, I mean, it, you know, this period. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great way to, to then start integrating – What's important, you know, and and kind of reformulating it then. Yeah, very very much. Uh, Excuse me. Um, Now, uh, I want to kind of, you you kind of mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, what kind of gets your butt spark into your day. Um, What would a spark-filled life look like? Mm, That's great. Um, You know, I I think really what that's about is, being, you know, that, that sense of well-being that comes from the inside. When you are living an authentic life and you are present moment focused, that doesn't mean that you don't have goals or, you know, dreams or desires, but it's really, it's, it's waking up 
to the potential that's within you. It's being conscious so that you're choosing, you know, the things in your life from what you want to eat to how you want to exercise, how you want to live, the type of relationships you want to be in. So it's really, it's plugging into this life fully. And that, that really is, that life is available to all of us. It's not just for some of us. It's for all of us. And a, a huge thing I want to emphasize, too, is that having a spark-filled life doesn't mean that every single moment, you know, we're, we're you know, shooting to the moon on a, you know, <laughs> right. 10 plus high. Um, I think part of a spark-filled life is part of that spark is truly being present to our lives. So part of that is there's going to be pain. There's going to be times where we, you know, we do feel anxious or we do make the mistake or we do blow it, you know, and, you know, my life definitely, I've I've gone through a lot of hardship and a lot of, especially as a, as a child, a teenager going through just lots of pain when my family broke apart um, and everything just kind of went into chaos. I think that, you know, we, part of being, spark-filled is that we continue to allow that flame of hope to burn within us, to know that even when we go through these really difficult and painful circumstances, that, that there is the other side to it. We don't have to hold our breath. We don't have to just pull the covers over our heads until COVID's over, you know, that, that we can find the subtle joys in our everyday. We can breathe through the pain of our everyday and that really the spark is when we allow ourselves to connect with our inner self, to allow ourselves to connect with others, to allow ourselves to connect to this creative self and to express that in ways I, you know, when we get in flow, you know, creativity can literally be a new recipe that you try. It can be that you come up with your top 10 favorite songs on Spotify that make you want to dance in the kitchen when you listen to them, you know? Um, right. I feel like, you know, these are some of the essential things that that we can start plugging into to allow all that to ignite within us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so now, we're, guys, we're running out of time, but I do, I want to get this in. You you and Doug Beachwood um, mm-hmm. co-produced a film, When Sparks Ignite. So tell us about the film. What what's all up to um, and yeah. Together. yeah, that is, has been, thank you so much, because that has been one of the most amazing experiences um, in my life. And, you know, just this amazing thing. And I guess I'll tell you the premise of the film um, is really how we do go through these challenges and these really difficult times in our life. And that those times can become the match point that oftentimes just ignites within us what, what literally becomes our gift and then the gifts that we can then share with the rest of humanity. And so it, it was all, it, it really, it came to me in a meditation. Uh, it was a download. I had been inspired by one of my dear friends and frequent guests on my show, Jacob Lieberman, who had talked about filming um, a bunch of thought leaders, that would sit around a round table and we would call it lights of the round table. And from that, what, what, what got downloaded in me was, you know, I, I had this thought that like on my show, I was like, I, I have met and know some of the most brilliant minds and most serving hearts on the planet. And what would happen if we brought them together and did a summit, but had it very different that instead of coming and getting on stage and presenting for 45 minutes where the presenters don't talk to each other and they don't, you know, it's like they just do their mm-hmm. thing and leave, that they came together two days ahead of time and had their own experience. And so during that experience, which was filmed, I, I feel so blessed. We had an award-winning film crew come in, Doug Beachwood directing his brother, uh, Kevin Beachwood co-directing as well. And coming in and, you know, we, the, the group, these 12, there were 12 of us, and, you know, Larry Dossie, Jacob Lieberman, Steve Behrman, who wrote the book Spontaneous Evolution with um, Bruce Lipton, um, George and Sedina Capanelli, 
Steve's wife, Trudy, Barbara Dossi, um, Gabriella and Solomon Masala. I mean, all these just amazing people, along with Stephanie Schwartz, who's um, a research scientist. These folks came together and we, I mean, we meditated, we, um, we ate together, we had deep discussion together, we made music together, we danced together, and I did interviews with each one of these people sharing, you know, these people, people read their books, they're, you know, national best-selling authors and international presenters, and they look like, you know, gosh, these people must have been born enlightened. But each one of them has had their own painful journey and challenging circumstances to get where they are. And so I was able to interview them. And then through the film, you see this beautiful alchemy of, you know, these pain points that happened. And then what transpired? You move into being like a fly on the wall and you get to see these lights of the round table discussions. And then how all of that spark that was lit up in all of those people was then carried into the audience. And then you see the presentations, um, bits of the presentations, the actual day of the summit and, and the effect that it had on the audience. And that's where we go back to that saying, you know, you, we never know what sparks we may ignite in one another. And so it's a powerful journey of hope and how much our own healing truly matters that we can become that healing conduit that lights up other people as well. Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. Well, I really look forward to the release <laughs> to see, uh, next year, so it's going to be fun. Um, we'll have to talk about it right, right when that happens so we can get people visiting it. Um, so I see we are connected on Facebook. We're connected on Facebook, so I'll follow you there and, and the unfolding of that. And uh, is there any maybe final words that you may have for, for listeners um, that maybe either we didn't cover or just some something you'd like to say in closing? Yeah. You know, I, I would just like to, you know, I guess invite everyone to just, you know, take that moment, if you will, to even put your hand on your heart and take a deep breath into that center, to just know, you know, as we feel into our hearts, to just know that that spark is still alive and well in there. No matter what circumstances that you face, no matter what's going on in your life right now, and that we really truly are in this together. I think if anything, you know, we've realized through these circumstances that we really are a global community. And so the support is out there for you. You don't have to do this alone. And that your own healing matters. So please get the resources you need. Reach out. Reach in. And know that the spark is alive and well in you. And that as you ignite the spark within you, you help others to ignite the sparks within themselves. Excellent. Good. That is a wonderful, uplifting clothing. Thank you for your time today, Stephanie. I really appreciate you sharing with us, and I'm sure the listeners learned a lot as well as I did. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Robert. My honor to be here with you. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Stephanie James. We've been talking about her book, The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. Again, you can find out more about Stephanie by visiting her website, which is www.stephaniejames.world. And you can find out more about her podcast by visiting... Everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Her Show. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Her Show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Byte Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.